Welcome to Onward, the show where we explore emerging social innovations and chat with social innovators. I'm your host, Daniel Weinsberg. I keep running into the same bit of information, the same little research tidbit. I, I read an article about three weeks ago. I was at a conference two weeks ago, and the keynote speaker mentioned it, and then I saw it on Twitter last Sunday. It says that 85% of our health outcomes are determined by things that doctors cannot fix. Things like the air we breathe, the ground we walk on have access to, the human connections we have and don't, and the places we sleep. This year, I've had the privilege of visiting many cities and towns across the U.S., and all seem to be battling the similar issues when it comes to housing their people. Whether it's Denver, New York, Chicago, Austin, Seattle, L.A., San Francisco, Modesto, Sonoma County, Orlando, or anywhere else, we're seeing more and more of our neighbors living on the streets. Today, on the Onward Podcast, we sit down with a man who's dedicated his life to serving the homeless in his capacity as a primary care physician. Dr. Bamberger has worked with San Francisco's homeless population for almost 30 years and has conducted and published research showing the most effective interventions to reduce healthcare costs and improve the lives of our homeless neighbors. Based on the results of his research at the San Francisco Health Department, Dr. Bamberger proclaims that no other healthcare treatment among homeless adults has shown anywhere near such an impact on mortality as housing. A safe, stable bed to recover heal, and rest. His extensive experience and creative solutions move the humanitarian crisis that is homelessness from the periphery to the center of efforts to solve the crisis. As communities struggle to find, fund, and implement effective responses to the lack of housing, combined with the rising cost of living, Dr. Bamberger's work serves as a beacon and a guide for developing policies and solutions that can make a noticeable difference in the lives of all residents. Today, Dr. Bamberger joins us in his role as the Associate Director of the UCSF Benioff Homelessness and Housing Initiative to share his evidence-based solutions and innovative service model for addressing homelessness. Why are you passionate about working with the homeless? Well, it's something I've always done uh, in my professional life. When I was looking to go to medical school, for reasons that aren't that clear to me, I uh, had planned on taking care of homeless people, and that's really what I've done for the last 30 years. Um, I think given the incredible wealth disparities in this country, I think it's an obligation of people who are striving for justice to work hard to find a place so that everyone can have a decent place to live and thrive. As a physician, I can't really help my patients who are homeless unless I house them. So it's hard to imagine not being passionate about housing if you're working as a doctor for homeless people. And so how are you currently working to advance health and housing solutions for your homeless patients? Well, first of all, I take care of a bunch of homeless veterans. Uh, my 
primary care practice is with the VA in downtown San Francisco. And there I take care of uh, veterans, many of whom are older, have worked uh, in the military at, early in their life, and then have spent many years homeless, uh, living with mental illness or substance use disorders, chronic medical problems. So that's one area. And then recently I joined the faculty at University of California, San Francisco, the Department of Family Medicine, uh, as the associate director of a homeless initiative called the UCSF Benioff Homelessness and Housing Initiative. And in, and in that work, our goal is to do research, but mostly to disseminate facts and information about what works in homelessness, how we can um, get the government to work more effectively, more efficiently, uh, prioritizing housing as the treatment for homelessness, and also finding ways to prevent inflow into homelessness and working so that the people who are living with illness and without a home can not only be prioritized into housing, but can get the right kind of housing with the right kind of supports so that they are less ill. And so how did the UC Benioff program initiative get launched? Well, it really started with uh, Mark Benioff, who is, as you know, a very wealthy man who is the founder and uh, president of uh, Salesforce and a lifelong San Franciscan. In his day-to-day -day life, he saw many people suffering on the streets. And when a proposition was proposed for the voters of San Francisco to tax wealthy companies, companies that uh, brought in revenue greater than $50 million a year, that proposition called Proposition C seemed to him an opportunity to take money from the wealthy and distribute it to people who needed it, who were on the streets. And as he was out advocating for that proposition, uh, he felt exposed in terms of not having the great amount of information necessary to make his case. So he and his staff looked for information that he could find and came across me and my colleague, Margaret Cushell, and our writings and our speeches and things that we had um, put out there in the in the world, and he felt that we were a good source for the information that helped him to make his case. So after that proposition passed in San Francisco, though not with a two-thirds majority, he then circled back to me directly and asked if I would be willing to initiate a um, homelessness think tank with his funding to best get information, not just for San Francisco, but for the whole state and country on how we can move the needle on reducing homelessness, improving the health of, of people living with homelessness. And so what are some of the unexpected outcomes or findings that your the think tank has stumbled upon? Well, we really haven't done too much in any formative research right now. I think the main task that we're trying to get out is breaking down some of the myths that drive bad policy in homelessness. Specifically, there's myths out there that if you build housing in a specific area, people will come from other areas to take advantage of that housing. And the data is very clear that almost all the people who are homeless in a city were housed in that same city 
with at least 70% of the people who are homeless having lived in that city before they became homeless. And so the myth that people will come from outside of a city to an attractive city or a city that has good weather or a lot of uh, quality resources is just not supported by the data. So we're trying to promote those studies that show that unequivocally and get it out the information so that it doesn't, so that communities aren't hesitant to build housing and shelter for homeless people in a way to uh, help their health without fearful that they're gonna be attracting people who aren't part of their community. That's one myth that's out there. Another myth that's out there is that all homeless people are substance users and living with mental illness. And though undoubtedly people who've been on the streets for a while have a higher prevalence of substance use and mental health than the general population, these days, about one of every two homeless people only became homeless in the last year, and not because of their mental illness or substance use, but because of the increasing economic disparities that this supercharged economy that we live in in Northern California has pushed people to the streets. So as rent costs have continued to outpace income, more and more people are falling into the streets. So for every one person that I successfully housed, another two or three become homeless over that same period of time um, because of this supercharged economy. So those kind of information, again, it's not, I wouldn't say it's uh, surprises per se, but for some reason, uh, many people in, the, in our communities are holding on to these beliefs that are counterproductive to prioritizing our resources towards uh, what everyone deserves, which is a home. I know in Sonoma County recently, we've had this uh, challenge on a piece of public land, the Joe Rudota Trail, and a lot of the narrative that was coming out was regarding, um, you know, this is a public health crisis because of the, the feces on the side of the road, and then rats are coming into the area. So are there any myths about the health ramifications of some of the encampments that you can help to dispel? Yeah, I mean, I think this goes to a lot of people's primordial fears of the other. It's the same kinds of fears that drive us to put up walls between us and Mexico. It's these unreasonable fears that people who are not like me, whoever me happens to be, are going to be harmful. So when you look at the um, the hygiene problems or the uh, clutter that comes in a homeless encampment, there's almost no biologic sense that that's going to cause harm to people around them. I mean, what is it that's the problem? Uh, so even if there's a rat infestation, rats don't commonly transmit illness uh, to the house population. The sort of rare illnesses like typhus and dengue or uh, people getting illnesses from needles that they uh, step on, those things are real, but it's just extremely rare that people will be infected by illnesses that come about because of these uh, intersections of distinct communities. And it kind of drives me crazy that we use my field, the field of public health, as an excuse to discriminate against people who are just desperate to find a place to rest their head. 
So aside from the uh, primordial fears, I think those are some of the expected challenges that you'd run up against in your work, but what are some of the unexpected challenges that you've bumped up against? Well, I'm just really surprised, particularly by uh, progressive uh, people who are reluctant to uh, push hard for changes in zoning laws that would make it easier for more housing to be built at a lower cost. It seems that progressive uh, folks are very happy to promote the idea of equity and housing as a right, but when it comes to actually having a facility near our own neighborhoods, then we balk. And that continues to um, discourage me. And I'm not really, I don't really understand it um, because it's, if you're gonna talk the talk, you gotta walk the walk as well. And I think it's important that we all recognize that homelessness is something that we are all susceptible to and that when things are not going well, it's our responsibility to take care of people um, who are suffering. So what are some of the, the innovative, the impactful solutions that you're seeing either locally, nationally or internationally that are really addressing the health and housing issue for our homeless neighbors? Well, I mean, there's a clear best practice on what works for homelessness, which is housing, duh, right? You're not homeless if you're housed, but also matching the right level of intensity of services to the uh, housing for the individual. So communities that really work well to end or reduce homelessness, like Rockford, Illinois, or Bergen County, New Jersey, uh, the, the Hennepin County, which is where Minneapolis is, um, Syracuse, New York, places that have made dramatic improvements in the number of homeless people by reducing homelessness almost to zero, all do the same kind of thing, which is, first of all, knowing who homeless people are, getting a list of people and, under, and having relationships with the people who are on the streets so that there are case managers, doctors, psychiatrists, who understand what it is that led these folks to become homeless and then talking to them about what it is they need or want so that they can reduce their suffering and get housed. So that's the first thing is knowing the homeless population to the extent of not just a questionnaire, but really talking to people about what it is that they need and want. And then sitting down at a multidisciplinary setting where everyone comes to the multidisciplinary setting with resources. You have housing authority people who bring uh, vouchers for housing. You have medical folks who are providing primary care, psychiatric folks who are offering assertive community treatment, um, in-home support workers who are there, you know, agencies that can, can make that available. And everyone offers up the resources that they have to come up with a uh, multidisciplinary team approach plan that is both responding to the needs of each individual and delivering the services that um, they need. And it, and it often takes, you know, this long effort of developing trust across disciplines. So if a housing provider is uncomfortable taking care of someone who has an ongoing uh, amphetamine addiction, but then the psychiatrist can say, you know, I've done this before, this guy is going to do fine in your housing, and I've got his services covered because I'm going to put my best intensive case management team uh, available to this 
person 24 seven and the housing provider says, geez, I don't know. Every time I've housed somebody with amphetamine addiction, it's gone badly. And the psychiatrist says, well, this time I think it's gonna go differently. And over time, when those good outcomes develop through collaboration and communication, then the housing provider says, oh, you were right. It wasn't that bad. And then similarly, the psychiatrist can say, you know, uh, if I only had the right type of housing for this person, the housing provider says, well, actually, let me see if I can find that. I have a senior specific housing that would be good for this older homeless person. Or, you know, I, I actually have a housing facility that's a mile walk from the nearest liquor store. So that guy who's desperate to maintain his sobriety, if I housed him in a geographic impediment to accessing alcohol when he wasn't able to avoid his urges. So everyone works together with their specific knowledge everyone shares the risk and everyone knows who they're working with. In those settings, that's what really works uh, in the communities that have made success in ending homelessness. So in these communities like that you mentioned, uh, Syracuse, Rockford, who is the convening agency? It can be a lot of different agencies. That's what's kind of cool about it. It doesn't have to be, you know, the best looking, most resourced person who shows up to make the lead. Uh, sometimes it's the health plan uh, that can do it in, in San Mateo County in California, where they've done tremendous work in uh, improving the health of people living with poverty. It's the health plan of San Mateo that's convening all the different folks. In Bergen County, uh, it's the housing authority who happens to bring them together. So, and then in other places, it's the, you know, government agency that is organizing homeless services, often called the continuum of carrots, or it can be a nonprofit agency that is serving people directly, that has the trust of the disparate characters in the community to bring folks together and to honor each agency's strengths. So you've been working in this field, for over 30 years, which I think makes you uh, an expert to say the least nationwide. So what are some emerging trends that are concerning you? And then I wanna hear what emerging trends are giving you hope? As right, you well, you know, the fact that I've done this for 30 years gives me pause because it, yeah, I appreciate that you say that I'm an expert, but I'm, I might be an expert in failure, right? It has never been a time that is worse than it is now. So. I think the fact that I've been grinding it out for 30 years isn't necessarily something to be proud of, uh, because if I had done my job better, perhaps uh, we wouldn't be in the situation that we presently are. So I think I can point to places where we have made great success, but I also think having the humility to recognize how challenging it is to make headway in an environment where we continue to have wealthy people getting more and more rich, just extraordinary wealth in California, and at the same time, extraordinary poverty is uh, really heartbreaking. So uh, that said, I think that there are, as I said, places that have made great success. What other, what was the other part of that question? Uh, so trends that are giving you hope in the current state trends, of affairs. Uh, you first said trends that are giving me pause and then trends that are giving me hope. So the pause part is a little bit easier <laughs> because um, we have never seen more influx into homelessness than we are presently seeing. So for every person that we house in San Francisco, about three new people become homeless. 
So even though we have produced quite a bit of housing with a huge variety of intensity of services from you know, super enriched housing to just you know, a basic uh, bed, we still are not keeping up with the influx at all. So that's, that's a huge problem and, and really reduces our credibility. So I can walk through the streets of the Tenderloin in San Francisco and point to the 43 buildings that I helped help bring to market and the 7,000 people we've housed since I started housing people in 1999. And yet when you look at the situation on the streets, it, it looks appalling. So that you know feels very difficult to maintain credibility. And the challenge I think is that the new influx of homeless people uh, is just uh, overwhelming. That said, the people who are becoming homeless are actually quite different than the people who have been chronically homeless for many years. So we have this uh, trend in homelessness where clearly the population is on average getting older. So we have a lot of people who uh, are now on the streets who have worked all of their lives and successfully maintained housing who now are being priced out of their ability to maintain housing and are ending up on the streets. And these folks have a lower prevalence of mental illness and substance use than the chronically homeless people who've been on the streets for many years. So in some ways that's a great opportunity since the services that need to be offered to people who have severe mental illness and chronic medical problems, substance use, you know, needs to be a, a medically enriched service for folks who have just hit the streets because they lost the, their apartment, um, actually bring a bunch of experience and resources where I think if we get our act together as a society and provide some job retraining, particularly to get people into um, the healthcare profession where we are desperately needing what are called direct service providers, people who help with homemaker services, uh, 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 some nursing care, you know, helping people clean their units, uh, get to their appointments, take their medicines, and eat well. This is a service that we can pay for it at a decent wage, $20, $22 an hour, so that people who have become homeless after they've lost their ability to dig ditches or build buildings um, can be retrained to work in, this, in the caring profession. Um, and we need to take advantage of that shifting demographics of homelessness. So that's an opportunity that is happening that does give me hope if we as a society stop just focusing on a one note solution. We can't just keep saying housing, 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 even though that is the solution, we don't have enough of it. So while we are beating that drum, which we need to keep beating loudly, we also need to recognize that homeless newly homeless people bring a lot of strengths um, with them. And we need to capitalize on those strengths, their desire to get back into the workforce, their compassion for other people who are in similar situations, their years of lived experience that gives them an understanding of how to work the system and they can share that knowledge with other people who have less skills, and less capacity to be able to benefit from uh, the healthcare system that's out there. And so some of what you've shared today, um, it's all great, but it's, it's relying upon agencies or businesses. So as we begin to, to head towards the end, I'm curious what, what recommendations you have for busy cash-strapped folks who are trying to make ends meet, but see the situation and it, it breaks their heart. What, yeah. what can we be doing to support or improve the situation for our homeless neighbors? 
Well, I think first and foremost is acknowledging that everybody is like our like ourselves. Is when you see someone who is in a down and out setting, you know, don't treat them with anger or disdain, but with kindness and compassion. And I know that doesn't feel particularly satisfying because honestly, the solutions are solutions that take government funding or large philanthropic investments. It's very hard on a one-on-one -on -one interaction to make a big difference. If you feel like giving money to somebody will help do it. I don't think there's any reason not to, even if you're afraid they're going to use it for drugs and alcohol. If you're going to give a gift, give a gift with an open heart, not with a judgment that comes with it. And then spend time talking to somebody. Help them not feel so lonely, so isolated, so so much like a leper. Uh, many people who can't get off the streets uh, have real trouble with hygiene. They know that they are that people are avoiding them because of their smell or their look. Compensate for that. Overcome it yourself. Sit down and spend some time with someone. Let them tell you your sto their story, and you tell them theirs. Help someone feel that they're part of their of your community. And as we get our act together to build more housing or to have these other um, job training opportunities to help with the health of people directly on the streets, that they'll feel more ready to accept the offers that we have when they aren't feeling so much like they are the pariah of society. Um, and certainly in my practice, every time I acknowledge somebody's strengths when I work with them, instead of wagging my finger at them and say, take your medicines. Why don't you take your medicines? Why did you use speed today instead of taking your blood pressure medicines? But instead ask how they got through the day. What is it that they able to do today? How, how, how do they have the strengths to survive in this difficult world in, with resilience that's much greater in capacity than I could ever imagine myself living with? When I can start a conversation with honoring the strengths that people have to get them to that visit that day, then the ability to take care of their blood pressure or their diabetes is just so much better. So I think that goes similarly to interacting with people on the streets. It's just honoring the strength and resilience that brought them there today instead of judging them for the challenges that they have to live with to just get through the day. Uh, I think to understand this issue, it does take a little effort. I think learning about the healthcare system and how affordable housing gets developed and where government spends money, how it spends money, how bonds work, all these complicated things um, aren't, aren't easy to understand without really digging into it. But when you do, you learn the, why the resources that we should be able to use uh, are so hard to get out there. So and thank you for your time to highlight this issue. I think it really takes us all to embrace the humility of being human. Uh, and in doing so, I think we can share some of the strengths that we have every day with people who have less. We're often led to believe that a silver bullet solution exists that will fix our problems. When it comes to homelessness, and issues like it, many politicians and policymakers can be found pushing their conveniently ideologically aligned and politically safe solutions. As I record this, the Trump-appointed head of the U.S. Interagency Council on Homelessness, Robert Marbutt, is fighting homelessness with a strategy that they call the Velvet Hammer. 
This strategy essentially criminalizes homelessness, centralizes services in massive facilities far from urban centers, and provides food and shelter as a reward for good behavior. This heavy-fisted approach is the latest proposal that grossly ignores the fact that homelessness is really an individual problem, even though it presents as something much more collective. While those of us not experiencing homelessness see the problem in aggregate, if we want to solve this problem, we need to begin hearing the stories of the homelessness, understand their journeys, and find individualized ways to help each person find their path back to housing and good health. In California, Governor Newsom recently called on the federal government to do more to address the issue of homelessness. More than simply criminalizing the mechanisms homeless people use to live and cope. As a result, the city of Fresno and other cities in California are receiving emergency grants for rapid rehousing to help people who can't easily re-enter house society get back into a home. These municipalities are getting centers that offer inpatient mental health services to youth and adults that experience homelessness. At the local level, more and more, we are seeing proposals and policy approaches that are nuanced and flexible. Approaches that honor the individuals who are experiencing extreme poverty, health crises, and the daily assaults on their dignity in the wealthiest, most advanced nation in the world. These grassroots and localized approaches that are producing impressive results operate in stark contrast with the federal government's threat to bring down the Velvet Hammer. As we continue to work towards solutions, in solving the multifaceted, ever-changing challenges of serving our homeless neighbors, we need to begin tailoring solutions to the individuals we are seeking to support on their journey towards mental health and physical health through housing. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Onward Podcast. Before we head out, I'd like to give a big shout out to my boy Jay Lately, who provides the audio sponsorship to the Onward Podcast. Jay Lately is a hip-hop artist who has been supporting youth and elevating consciousness through his poetry for almost 15 years now. Um, learn more about Jay Lately. Follow him on YouTube. Subscribe to his, his channels. He's on Spotify. He's got great music, really uplifting words. If you are interested in sponsoring the Onward podcast, get at me. And if you'd be so kind as to subscribe, to like, to comment on this podcast, whatever platform you're listening on, that would be greatly appreciated. A few likes, a few comments go a long way in the attention game. So thank you for tuning in. Until next time, onward and upward.